Hi everybody, I'm Nandini Madhsinka, CEO of Mumbai Angels, and I'm very happy to be here and chatting with Akshay. This episode is a fact-finding mission delving deep into the business of funding. Mumbai Angels is among the oldest angel networks in India and they have funded more than 200 startups till date. And in this episode of the Founder Thesis Podcast, your host Akshay Dad speaks to Nandini Mansinka, co-founder and CEO of Mumbai Angels. In this conversation, Nandini shares hard facts about early-stage fundraising, busting myths and misconceptions about fundraising and thereby helping startup founders to be better prepared to pitch to investors at the seed stage. Stay tuned for tons of insights on early stage investing and do check the video version of this interview on YouTube. Uh, So, uh, Nandini, uh, quick overview of uh, what's your background and, uh, you know, what got you uh, interested in startups, in the world of startups. Yeah, so it's it's been a you know long checkered journey actually. So uh, I actually uh, I hail from a Marwadi family in Calcutta, way back in you know seventies uh, eighties, where uh, you know we were. I think the the primary thing that I was told when I was growing up is that look, you have to get married and have kids basically. So I think that's, <laughs> the, <laughs> that's where the journey started. And then I, you know, I quickly just looked around and I said, no, this is not what I'm going to be. And, uh, you know, I had very supportive parents and I had, a, you know, my siblings were very supportive. And we, I basically started charting out my uh, path from there. And it was actually not a very premeditated uh, journey. You know, I, I basically fumbled along. I said, okay, what can I do? So I was, I was relatively good with studies. So I said, okay, now let's, you know, let me just try and do higher studies. So for me, uh, getting out of Calcutta was actually the primary driving force when I, when I moved to Delhi and I, that's where I did my CFA. So this is the combined uh, uh, program, you know, where you do the CFA and MBA together. And this was way back in 1995, I think, yes, 1995. So uh, I did that. And then from there on, I was again, you know, just fumbling along and saying, what, what are the things that I can do? And I've actually had a very checkered career on doing a, a wide range of things. And one of the primary uh, places where I could learn this was at the Times of India group. So I joined the Times of India group in their internet division. I was like, you know, the sixth employee. That's the time when there, w- there was no Google. There was no search engine. And uh, we, we, I've actually experienced a startup environment and culture in that organization, you know, where you were just these 10, 15 people in a room. And I was actually told, you know, that, oh, here is, and that time our uh, go-to platform was Yahoo. So, you know, we were, one day we were told, okay, here is something called Yahoo Auto. Can you, can you build something called India Times Auto, you know? And I would just go with it from the beginning and I have zero ideas about automobile, but I would do that. And then you would say, okay, fashion, I had zero idea about fashion. You do that. Then I've built, you know, so all these uh, verticals of India Times right at the nascent stages when you were just building HTML pages, etc. 
I've been a part of that journey. And then from there, I uh, think... The, uh, uh, the approach of uh, Times of India was to build online classifiers because essentially a newspaper earns through ads uh, and one way to like diversify your revenues to create online classifiers. Right? So, so you earn through online ads. So, so that was actually a different... Absolutely. So it was online classifiers, but I was a part of the India Times uh, group where they were not really looking at that as an extension of the print uh, business. They were actually wanting to become a, uh, you know, global uh, platform com- at that time competing with Yahoo. Yeah, so yeah, the, 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 yeah. Yahoo of India, you know. So you said, you actually start saying, okay, what all is there in Yahoo? And you start. So uh, I was also trying to build, you know, something called a web directory. So to actually go, I had a team of people who would go and look for, uh, websites and put lists together. So I'm talking absolutely pre-Google age, but it gave me a lot of, uh, you know, uh, understanding of how to actually stop saying this is what my skill set is and just do whatever is out there. And the so post-India Times, within Times of India Group, I actually had the, uh, you know, fortunate uh, experience of being a part of what was called the central strategy group of the entire group. And that was another experience by itself, you know, where one day I was working with the legal team, then marketing, then finance, then business, radio. So you did everything. And that was, I think that's when the seed of entrepreneurship actually, uh, you know, uh, was was with me. Uh, Post that, I of course, you know, I've so then from there, I took another, you know, absolute 180 degree turn uh, when I shifted from Delhi to Mumbai when I joined JP Morgan. Now, from a completely unstructured environment, I was in this completely structured, you know, uh, multinational bank who, where you are very clearly told, this is your role, please do this well. And more importantly, do this with as much precision and detailing as you can. So that's the other part that I learned, which, which I had not learned earlier, you know. So where attention to detail, where every dot, every comma mattered so that was that other learning that that i had which i think was a fabulous so you actually got this full uh, sense on how to run anything end to end this i did till about 2010 and jp morgan uh, uh, does banking in india or this was like a like a back office for us so this was the this was the investment banking research group so this research group actually so it's so i wasn't so kpo yeah no so so it's the so you work with the India office also and you work with internationally all the offices where you were actually uh, for every pitch that was going out to the client. The team was doing everything except for actually pitching. So like, for example, I was, uh, you know, how I came into this is because I was the media. I was, the, you know, I, I looked at media from time to time. So I came into the media group in JPO where my job was to actually build the pitches for any client you are pitching to across the world types. And then, of course, I moved to the telecom media technology group, etc. Uh, yeah, so so that, that is what, what was happening in 2010 or so. Uh, 2010 is when I realized I can't do this anymore, you know. I had to just jump off and do my own thing. And... Uh, I quit in 2010 on a business idea that I actually junked within a week of quitting on the Excel sheet. I said, so I was, you know, trying to do something absolutely bizarre, like a self 
publishing website you know i said so i, I said i will do this and i sat down and i looked at the excel sheet with my brother and my husband and all three of us we said no this doesn't work so cancel so here i was at quit and one week nothing i think what is very important uh, for anybody who's listening at this point is at no point once i quit did i ever regret saying oh i should have gone back that i think is the core of what entrepreneurship is you know it is it is a lifestyle choice it is not a uh one job versus other and the minute something starts not going okay you don't just jump back and say okay let me so i think that was very critical and then from there on 2010 to i think about 2016 17 right i actually tried i think four different uh four to five different businesses okay couple of them were just at the idea stage some i just tried and i did it for 3 4 months didn't work oh, just, just talk a bit about each one of those so see i think initially the minute you do this now the first thing you start telling yourself is that you are this fabulous consultant i think this is this consulting uh, all of us have this uh, chip on our shoulder that i am an investment banker and jp morgan and here is this queue of people who are you know wanting to learn from me i did that so i said let me set up an investment banking unit of my own right and i did this for some time and i said not happening not scalable not spending my time or energy so several of these you know consult then i then actually thought of setting up an incubator uh, way back i said look this can be done etc uh, so these were the two specific ones that 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 we did then came idea booster so idea booster was my first uh, attempt at a business that actually took some shape and it went some distance this was actually a if you think of um, angel funding for content so what i was trying to do at that point was can i actually you know fund movies tv series that time of course there was no you didn't have so many i think it was just an idea before its time because today maybe it would work yeah, it time, sounds very interesting like a kickstarter for uh, entertainment yes yeah and that that's for equity you know so you you're doing it so i actually also managed to produce a like fund and make a movie this was a bengali movie called ludo and it is on uh, netflix uh, watch it at your own peril because <laughs> <laughs> okay so this is not the hindi ludo this is a, a bengali ludo it's a horror film but once i made ludo and i spent that money and i was just lucky to be able to return money back to my investors so people did not make a loss but i realized that this is not scalable so i would either have to do 100 movies of a, a crore each or i would have to go into uh, you know uh, the more uh, the larger ticket size movies which is a very different business so i i said no this is not happening while i was trying to uh, sell ludo is then i realized that look here is this other uh, gap in the industry where there are a lot of people who have content and they don't know how to reach out to buyers so that is how digi booster uh, you know came into being where we said can we actually create a platform where you know and that time of course you didn't have the netflix and amazons who are so active that like i'm saying i think we're talking 5 5 6 years back so way ahead uh, i think i was little early at that time also 
so we tried that for some time and uh while i was doing it you know akshay i realized i didn't understand content so i realized that my strength is creating a platform i know how to bring buyers sellers together i know how to actually create a marketplace but i did not understand how to price content so if you give me two movies in front of me i did not have that gut feel to say this is this is worth 5 crores this is worth 2 crores and that 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 is a disaster right for somebody to do this that's when i realized i need to step off and this is not my game so this was the journey that was going on and what i did is i actually got an investor in and we tried to do um you know we actually tried so then then i stepped off and i said i'm no longer active and i got an investor and we they, we got a ceo together and we actually moved into influencer marketing so that was again way back in 2018 19 i'm talking 18 yeah 18 19 uh, i think they tried it for two years but then again i think covid got us so we we shut down uh, digi booster in early 2020 so that is so those while these conversations and these experiences were going on in parallel what i had done is in 2010 itself i had actually joined mumbai angels you know as an investor so in that time it was a very small group of some 20 people doing you know five deals a year type of a thing and that's where i found you know, how, how was it structured like was it structured as a, a, an aif or just like bunch of people investing together so each one signs an agreement individually with the startup and absolutely absolutely all and of them did. go on the cap table absolutely so okay. actually that was our I, i will come to how mumbai angels is structured today that was our model actually even as late as last year hmm. okay people were coming on to the cap table directly but the difference between that time and you know a little later was it was very small you know some 15 20 people and doing 3 4 deals a year that's it you're very happy because You know, and these were like like old school industrialists who had money or what it was a mix so india actually you know the angel investing scene from the time I, so i have been now a part of this is 2010 it's always been a mix you know it's always been a mix of uh, first to third generation entrepreneurs so the minute it comes third generation you're talking people who are sometimes who are in their 20s and they have enough uh, you know family wealth to be able to Uh, deploy this so and india that's always been the structure from the beginning so uh, so so that happened and i then you know i did some investing as an uh, as an investor over there and while i was trying to build my other ventures i was you know i was quite excited about mumbai angels so i i started spending time there pro bono you know i was a part of the screening committee i was part of you know portfolio lot of things i was i was leading deals etc and of course you know uh, sasha and prashant who had started this as a network uh, they you know they had become very good friends i think in 2017 uh, so the same i think the the same time when i said digi booster is not working is when i started having a conversation with sasha and prashant i said look here is our opportunity to actually make this really big you know but this will require a complete rethink it will require it to be run like a company it, it the with the focus on building value in the in the company not just the investments that you do you have to bring in professionals you have to build processes just how you know any other 
you have to build for scale actually so uh, to their credit they understood you know what what i was saying and then i came in as the uh, co-founder third co-founder and the operating partner and they took a you know uh, investor seat on it and 20 both of them not, were like running individual businesses and this was like a side gig for them yeah yeah absolutely so uh, i mean just for uh, perspective sasha is the uh, is a part of the onida family and he's uh, actually a gp of k capital which is itself a huge name uh, in the startup space on its own and uh, prashant choksi is a part of the asian paints and choksi chemicals and real estate so they have huge large uh, family businesses and this of course you know was a that this was more something that they had done out of passion but uh, they didn't neither of them had the bandwidth to be able to jump into this full time and uh, uh, so i jumped into this i jumped into this full time uh, 2018 and uh, uh, i think 2018 to 2021 a lot of so the growth or the name that you see in mumbai angels is is a is basically a function of what we managed to create in those 3 4 years you know we managed to create processes we could one build... one question first before uh, this uh, did you have a like a benchmark or uh, a template in mind that okay i've seen this organization do this in some other context and we should try to do it in a similar way or like what wh- what was the vision that you had in mind which you would have probably sold to sasha and prashant i think it was a lot like a uh, angel list so i really love the way angel list uh, has been structured i i just think that you know navel uh, has a fabulous uh, hold on you know this space so that is that is that is the way that i actually wanted to look at it to say can you actually become uh, you know a true platform where okay where... what what is for people who don't know what is angelist why are you so inspired by it so angelist uh, see now they are, i look at them as a peer because i think now in india especially we are we are as big or bigger than them but if you look at them from the international context i think they they've really got this uh, you know early stage venture investing right they've put a lot of money behind tech so it, i think it is primarily a tech play you know mm. where you're being well, able well, to bring just, just describe what what is it like like what what are the so various pieces where, yeah. so it's a platform where you bring in a large number of investors who are wanting to invest in startups and a large number of curated startups and the and the role of the platform like you know any true platform in any other industry would be to be able to provide enough information for each individual investor to take their own call so it is about saying and because it is an unlisted space dealing with an asset class where uh, there isn't enough information available you have to bring in that level of consistency in the information that is out there so if an individual investor logs in they should be able to look at various parameters and understand the lingo and make their decision so uh, for for people who are uh, i mean i mean so i mean that is what what we have also you know now arrived at it is basically the role of any platform in the early stage venture space is to you know like i keep saying everywhere that when investing in early stage venture is anyway very risky 
okay anybody who does this should know that your money can go to zero that that's the if you should have that appetite to be able to jump into this having said that the role of the platform is to uh, you know homogenize the information give as much information that is possible for the uh, for the individual investor to take a call and more importantly uh, you know do the uh, due diligence of the investment before the investment is made and manage it manage the portfolio through and through so imagine a platform being a fund manager without taking a call on behalf of the investor but doing everything else so that okay. is the that is the uh, you know uh, that's the vision that i started out with and uh, uh, you know so, so yeah just a little bit more i want to zoom in so essentially you're saying a platform should do three things homogenize the information uh, and then execute the transaction in a way that is friendly for both parties and then manage the portfolio yes and uh, due diligence is a huge part huge huge right. part okay that okay. that is uh, that is the pre investment piece which so so due diligence would lead to the homogenization of information no I homogenization is is before okay so like so like just as a just to give you a context of what i'm talking of in terms of numbers like say for example look at us today you know we see about 500 deals a month okay we curate only 20 of that to our investors so uh, 20 of those have gone through due diligence or have gone through homogenization homogenization okay so okay. there's still no so there is there is an internal due diligence and there's an external due diligence so the homogenization is actually also internal due diligence you know where we are saying okay. acha claims jo if if some if the founder is making claims are they validated have we spoken to people have we done you know just basic checks that is homogenizing and then of course putting the information out which is readable uh, for everybody so it's a curated homogeneous pipe let's just say got it then when people actually say yes i'm interested so assuming you know we are raising a crore and 20 people put 5 lakhs each okay then the role of due diligence comes in where we will actually go deep in as much as possible in a startup uh, phase to say yes we think this is a clean investment to go into we are still not saying it won't uh, fail that's the nature of what you're doing but you try and take the risk away of everything else except the business you know so that that's the second that's that's the second bucket and then of course is managing the portfolio right till the exit uh i mean i don't know how, what is the depth in which we can go uh, on these conversations but you know for for anybody who's who's actually wanting to talk to investors and looking at it see i i see a lot of focus just on valuation valuation is just one part of you know the deal structuring there are the primary deal structuring is actually around rights so we we actually look at a we we do a, we are known in the market for actually uh, the way that we stitch the deals the depth in which we actually look at these uh, rights and information etc and then when the next round investments happen our job as a platform 
is actually to represent the investors and stand there and make sure that our rights are protected. So in my head, okay, and as how we function, we are very clear. Our primary customer is the investor. The startup is a partner or a product or the issuer. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Uh, that's amazing insight. Um, I want to uh, zoom in on each of these uh, each of these steps that we spoke about. So uh, let's start with homogenization. Now, um, does that mean, for example, you will say that, okay, this is the total addressable market. So the total addressable market becomes a standard field for every startup. Or uh, would you do something like a, a discounted cash flow? I doubt that would really be relevant for early stage investing. But but so, so what happens in homogenization? Yeah, so very interesting question. It has a long-winded answer. So we do two things over here, right? One is uh, through technology and the one is, uh, the other is through a 20 member strong team. Okay. So what I mean by technology is that we have what we would like to call just the version one of an algorithm in place. It's just version one. I actually think there will be version thousand of it. Okay. This is the first step that a founder goes through where we actually ask them a series of questions, okay? And basis, uh, the backend algorithm that we run, and right now it's a very rule-based algorithm. Over a period of time, I think it will also be, you know, through, as we get more data, and it could, it'll also throw up outputs on data. But basically, we look at, and we have, you know, divided it into some seven, eight different sectors on what parameters are, when I'm saying homogenization, the parameters for, say, a SaaS, will very differ a lot from what is will be a consumer or say a deep tech, space tech. So I can't just say these are the eight things. But I can say this industry has these 10. Then I try to bring a score, which is, you know, internally we look at saying it has to be a 700 out of 1000. Otherwise, this doesn't go through the gate. Okay. When it goes through the gate, and that's the first voice, it's not the last voice, the first voice. Then our team of 20 people, okay they are going to start looking at the, so let's look at 500, say all say 700, 700,000 score actually will come to only about 50. 450, don't even clear it. Okay. Of oh, 50, how, how is this scoring then? Uh, just as a rough example or something. Yeah. So it's a, it's an algorithm. Like I said, it's about the hundred different parameters mm -hmm. and you know, there is an hour, hour and a half call between the founder and one of our team members. And they will ask you questions and they will input answers. And then the odd score is done automatically. So the person who's asking question doesn't know how the algorithm works. But uh, very top level understand, like for example, you the score would be low if there is a solo co-founder, solo founder, or the score would be low if it's a, let's say, whatever. I mean, you, you might have some some insight yeah, around no, what- I, Yeah, yeah. I, Let's just say this, that uh, score will be low if you're a D2C company and you haven't sold anything as yet. Okay. Right? Or so, and, and, you know, our threshold of what is uh, a good uh, monthly run rate for a D2C company will keep going up and down depending on how the market sentiment is. But on an average, I would say, hey, 10 lakhs should be there. Otherwise, you know, what are you doing? So if you say, oh, my monthly run rate is five lakhs, so your score is lower, you know, 
if you're not a full-time founder your score is definitely lower those kind of things you know if you're a SaaS company uh, we are saying that okay uh, have you got your first beta customers if you are saying i'm a patent company is your patent filed have you got your patent are you wait you know so the the weightage will differ basis which industry you're in and these kind of uh, and and also our we keep refining this algorithm basis our understanding and also how our portfolio is doing remember we've been in the business for now 15 years so we have a 250 strong portfolio so we don't just need to throw uh, you know intuition at at the formula we have data so we're being able to throw uh, data so so i think that that's how that's how it is okay very interesting i understand now why you said there will be a version 1000 uh... yeah <laughs> absolutely right, so, right. Yeah. okay so now this happens but then see this is just the machine or this is just technology then the human piece comes in which is which will bring the 50 down to 20 and this is uh, you know where we will actually go out there and say look here are five six rights which are non-negotiable please sign this term sheet mr founder if you're not signing this for term sheet doesn't matter who you are we are not taking you ahead and what so, are those rights like so you know i think those are standard ones right like you i mean i think there are about 15 such rights i don't want to go into all of them uh, on this thing but uh, you know stuff like you have to be full time founder there will be a founder lock in of their uh, you know uh, for a period of time that our money is invested in uh, information rights you know there are uh, some of some of the ones which are absolutely non negotiable are preemptive rights anti dilution uh, what are i mean you know uh, i'm pretty sure a lot of people don't understand what these rights are if you can uh, i think it would be lovely to just understand what these imply and what yeah, is the way I, mean, I said it you know each one of them actually will take a pretty long discussion but let me just mm. try and throw some light on this preemptive basically is one of the rights that all early stage investors across the globe will uh, fight for and, and like, what does it mean it basically means that whenever there is a next round of funding okay i will have the right to invest more at that valuation to retain my uh, same ownership in the company today which means that if today say assuming i have got 10% of your company okay next round whatever be the valuation i will have the right to up my investing so that i can retain the 10% got it okay and uh, this and this actually is uh, how wealth is created in the startup space by early stage investors so anybody who has done this long enough will keep upping their investment in the companies that are being able to raise more money at the higher valuation because of the preemptive rights okay 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 so this would be the difference between getting a like say a 5x return versus a 50x return yes and because see for example if you have if you started out with a company at the 10% stake okay over a period of time more rounds have happened and you have not invested more and you've become 1%. You will always get what is the share of the company as, as a return, you know. So it, there, there's a huge difference in what is shown in the newspapers versus 
what investors make at each deal so at each deal every guy makes a different return actually but if you had 10% at 10 million which means your share was worth 1 million and then the company becomes worth 200 million and you have 1% you're still doubling your money uh no so you you're not there to double your money no akshay yeah, you are yeah. you are actually there to find a way to make it 100x right okay got yeah, it and also what happens is that in the uh, subsequent rounds say for example like in your same example at the next round i could have i could have three choices i could have a choice that i will just stay invested there are a lot of people so there are no right or wrong strategies so a lot of uh, early stage investors do that they say we will not put money in the next round whatever is the, the investment is there fine so like you rightly said let it become 3x 4x i will get that that's fine so that's strategy one strategy two is to actually exit so a lot of people actually say the next time i'm a company is getting an exit i will come out because i'm you know i'm only a series a investor for example and and i will redeploy the money elsewhere i don't think it's a very wise uh, decision but everybody has their own uh, uh, format right or there are uh, investors who actually i look at as uh, eternal investors okay eternal investors are people who will say i will not exit a company till i'm kicked out yeah and i will do that by doubling my investing as in when the opportunity comes so what happens is that uh, and i have seen that strategy being used by uh, prolific financial angel investors right so i'm talking of see there are two types of invest sorry i'm just jumping from uh, topic to topic and let me know if you know it, it becomes reason. so there would be these operational hands on uh, high intensity individual investors who will say listen i have a, and they need to have they necessarily need to have a larger kitty to themselves say 100 crores okay i'm i'm just giving a number they will say i will put this 100 crores in 15 to 20 companies i will have a substantial stake and i will actually be uh, you know uh, participating in the growth actively so i don't do i don't like to use the word mentoring and coaching and all that because i actually think these are completely over abused uh, terms but if you are actually being able to add value you know and i think like add value make is, introductions and stuff yes, like that yes only two things can you bring sales actually three can you bring sales can you bring money can you find the right people hmm. anything right, okay. beyond that my view uh, you should have the uh, confidence of the founder that they pick up the phone and talk to you not the other way around if you are picking up the phone and telling the founder listen i think you need a difference in strategy i think you've got the game wrong yeah so th- these are the things everything else needs to be a pull from the founder so that that's the that's the active operational investor that's a different kind of an investor and then there is a financial investor and we actually deal a lot with financial investors on a platform like ours there the strategy and i've seen that strategy work with lot of people who do this is where the portfolio will be as large as 100 companies 200 companies okay and you actually put money in 200 companies in the first round and then you start uh, you know utilizing the preemptive 
you start doubling up on the ones that are doing well. So over a period of time, you will have a concentrated portfolio of say 20 companies that are doing well and 150 that are not. But that's, you understand that that's the nature of the game and you are, you are uh, going with it. So yeah, so that's... Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, amazing. Uh, what are the other rights? So this is preemptive. Uh, yeah, you said anti-dilution. So anti-dilution is very clear, you know. Uh, it is about saying that if at any point of time you are raising money at a valuation lower than our the, what we have raised money at. So assuming you have raised money with us at a 10 million basis that I have got a 10% stake in the company. Tomorrow, if you are not being able to raise money at 10 million and you say, oh, my business is you know, faltering and I need to raise money at 8 million, for example, as an investor, you will say that, please, the founder, you will dilute the shares. I will not dilute. This is what uh, happened. Or I, I read about something which likely to happen with PharmEasy. Yes, uh, that's correct. after they acquired Thyrocare, there was an anti-dilution clause, and their current yes. uh, fundraise is going to be at a much lower valuation, and founders will end up with very tiny stake. Uh, yes, that's okay. a standard clause, actually. Uh, I think in this case, it just um, you know just came out as a point of discussion in the wider space. But yeah, within the industry, uh, I think all founders and all investors fully understand the implication of uh, this clause. So I think I think that's the other one. Then the other one that we will just not negotiate on is information rights. So what happens is, so there, so there are information rights and then there's something called uh, affirmative voting matters, AVMs. So information rights are saying that, look, you are an unlisted company. We need to have access to your books of accounts at any given point of time. So it's not just saying you give information to us and, you know, on a quarterly basis, you will come in. So that, that, is a necess that is a given that you will come back on, you see. But I have the right to look at your books at any given point of time. And you cannot block me. That, right, that's the right. one. And then, yeah, you know... This, this sounds very reasonable. Like It's a very reasonable yeah. ask. <laughs> See, I... Uh, and then, of course, there's something called affirmative voting rights where, you know, there is a list of things uh, that are there. For example, if you're pivoting the business, you have to take uh, our okay. If there are three founders and one wants to quit, we, you need to be okay. If you're suddenly creating an ESOP pool, you need to be okay. For sure, anytime you're taking debt and you're taking raising further equity, you have to take an okay from us. So it's a list of uh, what I think what we need to understand, and I think it's the right point, you know, for me to highlight over there that, you know, I have actually seen a large number of founders not even being aware of these nuances when they come and talk to us. I think it is so important for founders to understand look i think what has started happening no is it is it has become fashionable to say i'm raising money you know it has become fashionable to say i'm raising money at this valuation what we need to understand is that nothing comes for free so if you are a founder who's raising money a please understand the responsibilities that you are signing up for when you do this that, that's that's at the basic minimum, you know. 
the worrying thing that i'm seeing akshay i think i'm seeing this over the last year or so is that founders don't understand like while they have signed it in the letter they are not following it in the spirit and that is creating so you know of course at the larger uh, you know larger companies i don't want to name uh, companies but you're seeing corporate governance issues which are getting splashed in the newspapers you know and there, there's no and a lot of times you'll find that it's not a question of right or wrong it's a question of nuances in the documentation okay what is happening is that a lot of that is trickling right down to the early stage level where we operate and our investors and we ourselves have started asking a lot tougher questions at that stage on a what's your corporate governance b do you actually understand what it means to raise money and c are you up to actually complying with all of it my fear is actually if we don't do this and it's a good time right now to do this because you know of course there is a flux in the industry there is there is a slow down in funding etc not at our level but uh, in in the next levels this is the right time to take a pause and put those structural things in place absolutely uh, critical yeah Sorry. okay very interesting got it okay so uh, this is a post homogenization you have these uh, rights of investors and we cover a few of them which you get them to sign off on uh, then what's the next step they have to accept hmm right okay so they they accepted and then of course you know we will look at claim validation where saying that if the founder said listen i have these five customers we will talk to the customers we'll try and do you know virtual site visits we'll try to do real site visits we'll do product sampling we will look at the financials um, you know at the at saying we look at the cap table we will look at the structuring uh, a lot of first level checks to say basically saying even before we bring it to our investors and even before we do a deep dive in due diligence is this company looking more or less okay to be able to be produced to our uh, investors so that is the homogenization part then what what happens then say as you mean i've i've said 20 20 have so 500 to 20 have come then what we do is that you know through our various mediums that we speak to our investors we have an app we run you know a, a whatsapp group we have uh, you know we do mailers we do uh, you know we have actually do physical showcases we do virtual showcases we do what is called a deep dive with the founders etc we basically try and get the founder in front of the investors in as many ways that we can in uh, putting the information out in a way that the investor is started expecting from us so imagine if there were 20 founders they will have one pitch deck each will look different there is no way that we will go and change the pitch deck for each founder our synthesis and summary of it and analysis of it looks the same so the investor gets that one page of saying okay here are the 10 things you know saying now that happens post that is when people will say yes we are interested in uh investing so this is this is the homogenization showcasing book building done okay now assuming we've got the so we were trying to raise two crores two crores have been verbally or written committed now we will do the due diligence this is when we bring external third party uh, partners 
who will do legal, financial, secretarial, uh, you know, they will do background checks. It, that itself takes a couple of weeks. So then what will happen is that this is... So what... Uh, for an early stage startup, uh, what is left after you've already done your internal due diligence? What is it that this external partner does? Uh, like a uh, check if there's any cases against the founders yeah, or the company? And... And also see at that level, till that level, no, we've actually not gone and said, has this guy done all the filings with MCA? Have okay. have all the secretarial things been Compliances. done? Compliances, okay. Compliances, legal, are the hmm. books of accounts in uh, order? We hmm. would not have actually looked at it almost think of it like an audit you know audit. we've not had okay. an audit type of a lens on numbers okay. uh, actually looking at you know invoices looking at ah. you know almost all Whether like, the revenues real or right. yeah okay. exactly exactly okay. And, then, hmm. and then doing okay cases like everything right hmm. then the third party uh, partner will give us a due diligence report which will come to us then there is a back and forth between us and the founder on, say, questions that have been raised by the third party partner. And they say, you know, we are not comfortable with this or these things need answers, etc. Then the founder answers it, etc. Now there is this decision point that we have as Mumbai Angels to say, yes, we are comfortable with the due diligence outcome or we are not. If we are not, we will drop the deal irrespective of the amount that has been committed. And we do that regularly. So, there what is the percentage? Not too high of the numbers because I mean I would say committed in this thing say about two to three percent, but okay. we will do it. We will do it. Uh, we've and we and we are very clear that you know we are not going to invest in hurry and then manage it in uh, you know pain over the next four five years. We've seen we've seen this so many times over and over. A, again Akshay that I think it's better to drop a deal at the beginning than just say oh money is coming in and because like I said our primary client is the investor we are answerable to them you know because it's their money so we are a money manager right we are a wealth we are a wealth uh, manager so so we will say okay this is done so once the due diligence is over is we say okay now we are doing the deal that again, post that also takes a couple of weeks because then you do the fine tuning of the shareholding agreement. So, you know, we've said that, look, here are 10 things that are non-negotiable. But the shareholder agreement is actually 80-page document. You know, so you will go back, forth, back. It's a legal document like any other. And then you will close it, etc. And now because, you know, it goes through the fund process, then, of course, you know, we will go back to our LPs. They will say yes or no. And then that whole thing happens investment done so that's the second part due diligence and investment then is when you will actually start working you know i will not say that we are operational partners so we are not saying we will actually start working with the companies we are we are managing the information for our investors and timely intervention whenever we see something is not going right okay so that process depending on so Unfortunately, if a company has to die, it dies within the first three to four years or earlier. The ones that do well, they, of course, stay on longer. So we've actually seen, so like, say for example, uh, Inmobi, which is our first uh, unicorn, that investment was done way back in 2007. 
purple, which was which is the second unicorn, is in 2011. So it takes that much time for companies. And I would think that there are at least 20 to 30 companies in line in our portfolio who which which are doing really well. So that's again, you know, the number is anywhere between 10 to 15 percent of your portfolio, which are doing which are going to give us these super normal returns over the entire earth. So your role at this stage is uh, providing like quarterly updates to the investors and... Uh, no, of course we are. Of course hmm. we are. So we actually do uh, monthly... So we actually do like a monthly touch point with the founders, which okay. is a monthly this thing. And then of course there's a quarterly. You have to do a call with us. You come on this thing. And uh, so there, there are, you know... so. Like I mentioned till about last year, we were still doing the direct on the cap table. So there the investor is more engaged because, you know, they are on the cap table primarily. And now, of course, we do this via our angel fund. So now we do the calls. We will be involved. So we have, then we become like any other fund. You know, we will give quarterly updates to our investors on a, you know, the, almost like saying, okay, here is your portfolio. This is what how it's doing, etc. Okay. Uh, help me understand that transition from uh, each angel investor coming on the cap table to only one single entry in the cap table. Why so did a, uh, you want to change it, and how, like, how is it structured now? Like, you know, from a technical point of view. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I think um, the several names on the cap table uh, structure is not sustainable only. Because what happens is that, so when when we were doing several names on the cap table, we were basically, um, you know, our investors were not paying us per deal. They were paying a membership fee, which was the same whether you did 20 deals with us a year or zero. So you paid an annual fee and you see. And you, we you didn't charge like a... Yeah, on an assets under management kind of a model. No, nothing, nothing. So that okay, because okay. that I, so this is this was an earlier format. I'm talking right. of okay. the pre-fund, hmm. and we used to charge the founders a five percent fee, which was three percent in cash and two in equity. So yeah, we were this is one time when the deal is done. Yes, one time the deal is okay. done. So like, say for example, if you're raising a crore, the investor for that crore pays nothing to us. And the founder was paying five five lakhs, of which three was in cash, and two was equity worth two lakhs in that thing. Okay. So that was how it was uh, being done. Now, so I've actually been a part of this conversation with Sebi on you know the angel fund etc. Way back, I think twenty eighteen onwards is when these conversations started. So seventeen eighteen. Now Sebi is very clear that. Platforms which are doing direct on the cap table are actually not under any jurisdiction in the country. So Sebi, so Sebi says, I will not monitor you. RBI says, I will not monitor you, which means that at any given point of time, they can just come back and say what you're doing is illegal. Okay. So Sebi said, so it was driven from Sebi saying, you guys need to get inside a fund structure. However, you cannot do a fund structure in angel funding or early stage venture funding because the, the primary nature of investing is individual investors taking their own call. 
you can't take that away and say it's a blind pool. Then I'm just one more fund as the rest 730 funds in the country. So what is this angel fund structure? It's a very, it's a very innovative structure that SEBI has come up with. And it has, you know, some, uh, some of these, uh, they are in some format or the other, are there in all other countries, you know, which is a basically, it's a deal by deal investing. So instead of looking at it as angel or not angel, the term to use is deal, deal by deal investing. So how this is structured is it is structured in, in its uh, shape and format. It is like any other fund. In the country so you register it with sebi like say for example we have a thousand crore fund registered with sebi which has a life of 22 years okay however the similarity between any other fund and this actually starts reducing from this point onwards so primarily what happens is that in any other fund the fund manager would have the ability to deploy that thousand crore basis their processes and their calls here what we were doing earlier of, you know, 500 to 20 remains the same. Even 20 to getting people to invest remains the same. People will choose. We will show the same information, etc., etc. The point where somebody says, yes, I'm interested is when it changes. Where earlier we would say, okay, 20 of you, you've said 5 lakhs each. Okay, please become, uh, we will facilitate. You will become uh, names on the cap table directly. Now, they become LPs with us in our fund and we allocate units for that specific investment to only these 20 people. And what has changed in our revenue model is that now we don't charge the founders anything. So we are, we are now actually the cheapest in the market today where our cost to founders is zero. So we don't charge anything to the founders. To our investors, we charge a one-time 2% fee to get the transaction done. And then uh, when there is profits, we will first return their capital. So if, say, for example, somebody has invested a crore in a certain company with us. And at the end of, say, five years, that company returns to them one crore, say, two crores. Okay, So they will first get their one crore back. And of the profit that is being made, which is one crore, we will keep 10% and the investor gets 90. So it's a 90-10. Uh, 10% sounds low, right? Uh, the industry norm is 20%, no? It's all over the place. Of, uh, this is called carry, right? Like the, the, carry. The this is carry. Yeah. This is carry. I think it is all over the place, you know. So uh, what what's happening is that, see, uh, we, you know, sorry, I think that's something that we didn't mention early on. We are now part of 361, you know, we got acquired last year. So we now have the uh, ability to be able to set, uh, you know, terms and processes that, that can sustain the long term in the industry, right? What we saw is that, you know, there's this full range. Somebody's charging 20, somebody's charging 2, you know, then somebody's charging 15, but sharing five with somebody else all over and then they're doing deal by deal and this and that we said no this is not how we will function we will set the industry standard to say 210 which means that as compared to peers we could have we would sometimes make lower in one company and higher in one but the idea is to be able to do this on a uh, homogeneous standardized way 
so that that so we, i actually um while so what happens is that some deals sometimes we might look more expensive like i mentioned because you know some some other guy will say oh we are charging only 2% on this but on an overall basis we are now the cheapest and the most transparent in the industry Uh, sorry okay uh, is it a uh, like do you have a, a, a thesis on why 10% like that 10% is the best rate for early stage investing so we like i said we did a lot of uh, thinking around this akshay so what happens is now that look one of so what happens is that a lot of guys they are actually charging 20% but they are sharing almost up to 15% with an external partner people so who are deal, recommending the deal like who are doing deal sourcing not just recommending but somebody who's running with the deal so you could just come in and say look i'm i'm the deal lead i found the deal i will run it i am responsible so the platform actually gets only 5% it just looks like you're charging 20 but you're missing then you know then there is this whole thing where the same platform will say oh if it's done by a third person it's 20 this deal however we are doing on our own so it's 5% so i said it doesn't make sense you know let i should not be asking an investor to choose a company where on an upfront basis this looks cheaper than the other one i'm not asking them to choose a cheaper one i'm asking them to choose the best one so the best way to do that is to take the pricing decision away deal by deal and if i had put it at to 20% i would have been the most expensive in the market and i don't want to play this you know game of 5% to 20% deal by deal i said let's go standard average 10% and our back math says you know whether you were doing this deal by deal or you did a 10 you will make the same money if the quality of the deals were same between us and a peer you spoke of that there are two types of funds a deal by deal fund and a regular fund a regular fund is also you use the term blind pool for it so which means that for a regular fund uh, they go and sell the the team and the track record to investors and say we will handle your money uh, so it's almost like selling a wealth management service uh, and the investor commits let's say okay i commit 100 crores so that 100 crores is committed and then the investor has no say in where it is invested the uh... not really not really actually so uh, so we actually have two funds even today so we actually speak so we have an angel fund which is a deal by deal and we have a blind pool now let's just understand what are we doing uh, in this so the, i think the deal by deal angel fund we discussed in detail so you know that contours are uh, more or less clear what we see is you know as investors uh, stay with us and they do this you know so assuming they've been with us for a year year and a half and they've invested in 20 companies until and unless they are actually spending say 30% of their time on this asset class this starts becoming overwhelming imagine if you had to look at four different deals of four different sectors every week you know you would have to do this full time right so a lot of investors actually come back to us and they say look can you give us a mechanism whereas where where we invest in all deals that are closing on your platform so it almost becomes like an index product which is what our cat one 
the regular blind pool is there today also. So we talk about both these funds to all our investors simultaneously. So you, it is up to you. What do you want to choose? So you will say, I will either want to choose everything on my own. So it's an angel fund or make it an index where everything that closes with you on the angel fund, I will get a buy off. So that okay. is how our cat one is structured. Then, of course, there are a lot of other cat ones, a lot of funds and not just I'm, I'm actually using a wrong term. Cat one is just a class of funds, but any blind pool fund um, that is there across the world, it is basically you commit a certain amount of money and then the GP and the team takes call uh, on it. Then, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the money you commit doesn't have to be given upfront, right? Uh, you give as... Yeah, there's a drawdown schedule. Like say, for example, for us, uh, in our uh, regular blind pool, we are saying uh, 30% needs to be, uh, you know, will be drawn down on day one. And the minimum ticket size over there by law is a crore. So if you will commit, so if you say I'll do the minimum, so it's a crore, so you will give a 30 lakhs up front. And then we have the right to call for it over a period of time. And we actually give a, range you know because we also don't know so we say okay next 12 to 18 months we could call and it could be further also so your uh, blind pool fund what is the like what is the size of it like how many crores that's a smaller fund so it's a 300 crore fund so okay. the mechanism over there is that we are saying uh, if i'm going to close a crore on the platform i will put 25 lakhs more from the cat one into so it's a 25% of the amount being raised. So okay. it's a, it needs that much lesser money. Got it. Interesting. Uh, your uh, primary fund, uh, the deal by deal fund is the 1000 crore fund. Yes, that's correct. Why is there a number here of 1000 crores? Because you may not, uh, people are choosing. Uh, so I don't understand why you call it a 1000 crore fund. Uh, what is that? No, so you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, Actually, when you file for a fund license with SEBI, you have to file with a certain number in mind. So that's a it's a structure that is out there. Now, this money, as as opposed to say in the blind pool where I will actually draw down money, here my goal is to say how much can I deploy year on year. So, for example, if this year if I can deploy two hundred crores out of that. Next year, 300 crores. So, like, say, for example, I think this 1,000 crores will actually get exhausted. I have a life of a 22 year on the fund. But my view is we will actually exhaust it within four to five years, max. You know, and we will, we will, so that 1,000 crore will get deployed over, you know, I, I would say about, say, 500 companies over the next four to five years. That's the math. And then you actually let those companies grow to their potential for the next 16 to 18 years. That's the journey that it will have. Uh, once this 1,000 crores is deployed, then you can't participate in follow-on uh, fundraisers? Oh, I will have and to. So there's two, yeah, two those, parts. Those follow-on fundraisers uh, are part of this only? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So follow-on fundraisers, there is a cap by law that in a single fund, I can only deploy maximum 10 crores in a certain company. So I could do four rounds, but I can only deploy thousand uh, 10 crores in a certain company. So I can do follow-ons for sure. Within this fund, I have a thousand crore plus 200 crores 
green shoe option which means i can choose to do it or or not choose to do it but uh, how i see this panning out is in say about say 3 4 years time i will launch another fund another fund for like say for example this i actually think this is like a testing ground for us right we'll see how how are these 1000 crores uh, operating then our next fund can be for 5000 crores or 10000 crores depending on our read on is there that market size or you can actually do a 99 year fund for 10000 crores you know what i'm saying so uh, a lot of structures possible okay and what does this 21 years imply that you have to return the money within 21 years yes yes so the life so because the the fund structure by structure it's not an eternal structure so a company for example it's an eternal structure a fund ha- comes with a end life in which is defined so in this case it is 22 years what happens if you don't get exits although it's a very large period but uh, i mean it's, so, no, it's hypothetically valid. yeah it's a valid so it's not so forget about us all funds face this challenge all the time across the world so like say for example here is 22 there are funds which are say in the listed space or you know where the life is only 4 years 5 years uh, late stage private equity maximum will be 7 to 8 years 10 years doesn't go beyond that uh, so you will have to sell so a large a lot of times when say for example you see large funds actually exiting a company at a haircut chances are they're doing it because their fund is coming to the end of its life got it got it or, or they could sell it to the next fund like you invested no, from no, fund 1 no, then you sell no, it to no. fund 2 you can't no. do that you, you can't okay because see then it's a conflict of interest no it's a conflict of interest then you're basically um even if a single lp is missing or added to the other one hmm. then the value gets transferred so i think there are some uh, some minimal amount that you can transfer but otherwise see otherwise it's a conflict of interest no you have to be very very careful on where is the value getting transferred to whom it's not just so say for example think of it this way 1000 crores mumbai angel fund at one point of time there will be a 1000 lps whose money will be deployed or more than 1000 actually so i cannot transfer money from here to there no it it is their money that uh, gets okay so you said you've been acquired by 361 uh, yes. what does that mean so we uh, so we got acquired so uh, we were three of us in uh, who you know who were co-founders and owners of uh, mumbai angels and now 361 has acquired us and so mumbai angels like a private limited entity yes uh, yes okay. it's a private limited entity which has got okay. acquired by 3 so it's it's like an exit in any other company so like okay. so for example we we have three founders we've taken an exit and it's in there i continue to lead my angels uh, as a part of 361 so now and 361 yeah. is like a 100% uh, owner of mumbai angels yeah it's a i think it's a 91 so there's okay. still some uh, residual stake left but yeah for all practical purposes it's a thing and 361 you know uh, as you might be aware it's it's a listed entity It no, is I'm not aware. What is three sixty one? So three sixty one is you know the erstwhile IFL. Uh, so there are two IFLs. So there's IFL Securities, 
and there was uh, IFL Wealth and Asset Management. So we've got acquired by the IFL Wealth and Asset Management company, which actually manages uh, wealth worth $41 billion. Wow. And it is, it is the largest uh, private wealth manager, private asset uh, manager in the country. And it's a listed entity. Uh, it is, uh, so we, we are now, uh, you know, a company within a company. And they look at us as, you know, another asset class that they can offer to their, uh, you know. They are in the HNI uh, wealth management space? Yes, yes, absolutely. So it okay. is almost all big names in the country would be uh, clients of uh, 360. And uh, what do you do when you're doing wealth management for HNI? This is not the same as, let's say, putting money of people into mutual funds. Uh, no, it is. It is a full so the so the so wealth management so this this company has two divisions one is wealth second is asset wealth is where you're actually sitting with somebody who says listen i have a thousand crores to deploy how can you structure it for me so they have the whole bouquet of uh, you know assets they will do the asset allocation they will manage it for you and so that is the wealth piece of it and, and they will earn commissions uh, like yeah so it's say- like any yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a product sale and managing. Mm. So it's a relationship. The way like a, a financial advisor earns commission on mutual fund sales, uh, a, they would earn a, that. Yeah. But, but yeah, like know, very crude, crude yeah. analogy. Uh, but because they would be doing a lot more, they would be selling them debt and maybe direct equity investments and so. On. And managing it fully, you know. So okay. uh, you're talking. What you're talking of is the top point one percent of the country. Uh, mm you know, banking on uh, 361 to manage their wealth. Okay. So that's, okay. so they have, I think, uh, uh, 7,000 families. So it's uh, a very this would be structured as a PMS, like a portfolio management service. Uh, different things. No. So the wealth piece is a different piece where you, hmm. the RM will go and they don't really need to sell 361 products. They will sell all the entire gamut. Then okay. If you say that, look, I want to invest in real estate, they will have the ability to get you to buy real estate. It's that whole full wealth. So wealth management is an industry, you know. Yeah, uh, right, right. Okay. And then there is the asset management part of it, which is where they have their own mutual funds. They have large private equity uh, funds. They have, so uh, we manage, I think, within the 361, uh, saying about 25,000 crores in various funds like that are there. So Mumbai Angels now becomes a part of the bouquet that's getting offered. So it's a very good fit. Um, yeah, so I think that that's what the 361 thing is. Yeah, and 361 is, will take care of your capital needs. Like, like I'm assuming like 1,000 crores is like a drop in the bucket for a... a no, they will, not, they will not invest. So the no, thousand, as in like selling, selling it to investors and getting you yeah, access. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, what, what they are doing is actually putting a lot of investments in tech for us. So I actually see us as a D2C tech play, you know. And we had not been managed, we had not managed to put any investment in tech pre the acquisition. Now there will be a lot of investing in tech, people, processes, uh, access to uh, information, SEBI, you know. So that whole, uh, you suddenly jump start into what you would have done independently, say five years. You know, so that's wow. the amazing. So okay. I, that I think that's what it is. I think it's the 
first of its kind acquisition in this space globally so yeah. Not yeah. Any other. yeah yeah absolutely it's highly unusual uh, you know so my last question or series of questions to you is uh, advice for founders you know at the early stage founders are extremely confused uh, these are typically people who have very less exposure of how to do fundraise they maybe quit a job with a passion for an idea that they want to build they might have built something and you know there are a lot of these preconceived notions on how funding happens because of the headlines you read yeah uh, so you know can you like give a reality check to people absolutely so i think a couple of things right one is don't raise money till you really need it i think that it will sound very strange coming from me but please understand that raising external money is like getting into a marriage with an end date so you actually get into a marriage with a divorce date in place where the investor is saying that i am coming in i am giving you this money please tell me when can you give me an exit and if you don't give me an exit in 5 years here are these three four things that you so that's and also when an investor comes in they are not going to be silent investors you should only look for somebody who you are okay to be sitting on the same table as you that is that is number 1 the second one is that before invest before go doing your rounds thankfully today in the indian ecosystem we are matured enough you know for the last say 15 20 years the industry is there and of course you have international uh, you know lot of data etc the the founders should do a lot of reading you should do a lot don't just blindfold walk into saying i want to raise money do a lot of reading you know listen to podcasts listen to uh, you know uh, speaker conversations go to various uh, you know panel discussions go to conferences become smart about like you have to learn this fundraise is an art it's a craft and you can't walk into it blindfold so you have to know what you are doing right second piece third is understand it's a sales process so like with every sales process your uh your success ratio is going to be 5% which means irrespective of who you are you will have to talk to a minimum 100 investors of which only 5 will actually give you a meeting and of which one will convert if you are getting tired of it this won't work you have to repeat the same thing over and over again over and over again and you can't lose patience because every guy is going to ask you as many questions so here here are these three four things fourth is don't walk into fundraise with a valuation in mind i have seen this happen so often you know you know you're irrespective of where you are you're like i can only dilute 10% doesn't work like that you know you will have to like i said before you put a valuation number out you should have a very strong logic on why you're doing it and it cannot just be a fictitious excel sheet which says today i'm doing 2 lakhs worth revenue but guess what in 3 years i'll be doing 100 crores it could work couple of years back today it doesn't especially today it doesn't so you you can, don't have a fixed valuation number in mind talk to the first 5 6 investors by saying listen i'm open to valuation you tell me so you start getting that it's a price discovery understand as as you become more uh, established there is data to show what your valuation could be 
at the earliest stage it's a price discovery and honestly the only price that matters is what somebody is willing to give a check for you know like somebody i'm just giving you a you know that's a story i'm saying somebody just called me you know a week back and saying look i'm trying to do this business and i think i'm worth a 100 crores what do you think i said look what i think doesn't matter you have to ask me am i willing to cut a check at a 100 crore valuation if i say i i think it's a very good thing and i'm not cutting the check that means i don't agree to that right and if somebody else is coming and they're willing to check a cut a check at a 20 crore that's the valuation that's that's the those thing the other piece is on you know start raising smaller amounts of money take smaller amount build then raise build i've seen a lot of people saying oh i can't start this business till i raise a million dollars guess what nobody cares your business will never take off better to go out there and raise 50 lakhs build do the hard work so you know that that uh, you have to have that tenacity to build build this out you see and the last bit that i'm going to you know I, i'm actually quite worried about it because i see it like i was mentioning right in the beginning uh, corporate governance please understand corporate governance is not just about larger companies and listed entities and this thing so a lot of us think oh you know a larger listed company should follow rules but i am okay to do you know shortcuts because i think we have actually got stuck with a very bad term in the indian market called jugad no jugad jugad means hustling it doesn't means cutting corners you see so you you with jugad you will only reach so much if you're really wanting to be, become a true uh, you know build something of scale that matters jugad will not work you will have to bring in the right processes and now is the time to do this and that brings us to the end of this conversation i want to ask you for a favor now did you like listening to this show i'd love to hear your feedback about it do you have your own startup ideas i'd love to hear them do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show i'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.